0: You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can always find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Podbean, Himalaya, whatever you like. And if you don't like any of those services, or if you're a commuter and and you don't want to be looking at your phone while you're trying to find your favorite podcast, you can always ask your smart device like Siri, Alexa, Google Home, play podcast Locked on Vikings. And today we're in a little bit of limbo. The news coming out of camp, which I'll go over in a second, is pretty light, so we have a little bit of time. Uh, We don't need to preview the Seattle game until that'll be tomorrow's show, so I have kind of a chance to get a little abstract. And if you're new to the show or if you're somebody that just kind of started listening because the season's gearing up, this is something that I've done a little bit more in, in the off season, and I'm not going to get too many more chances to do this sort of abstract football philosophy thing that I really like to do and people have responded well to it. So uh, we're gonna, we're going to go a little deep on today's episode. But first, let's let let's get uh, some news and some stuff out of the way. The first thing I want to address is I I forgot a very important fact when I was talking about the Kari Vedvik situation in yesterday's episode. Uh, Matt Weil has a cut on his finger. He got it uh, right before the preseason game against the Saints, and he can't hold and he can't punt because he has this bad cut on his finger that he, like, got from some athletic equipment. He called it a freak accident and just seems like he cut his hand. Should be fine, but he can't Uh, participate right now. And that's awful for him, right? Because Kari Vedvik is now given the uh, unlimited opportunity to showcase his punting skill and Chad Beebe can hold in uh, training camp yesterday. Dan Bailey was perfect, uh, 7 for 7. He had missed at least one field goal in every other training camp practice up to that point, which is obviously horrifying, but uh, he finally went perfect. Uh, You know, like I had mentioned before, though, there were a lot of those misses were not necessarily his fault. You know, it was like a random wide receiver holding or it was a bad snap or it was, you know, a a seven second situation or something like that. So a lot of those misses are, you know, not necessarily on Dan Bailey, but still the whole situation is clearly kind of messy. But on Tuesday's practice, uh, Dan Bailey went seven for seven with Austin cutting, obviously snapping all of them and Chad Beebe holding all of the kicks uh, so that's obviously more bad news for Matt Wilde that Chad Beebe could come in and, and immediately hold a, a whole day and, and it all went off cleaner than any of the Matt Wilde days. Elsewhere in uh, camp updates, the Tuesday practice was an unpadded one, so there's not a whole lot to glean. However, I can quickly just uh, update you all on how the injury front is going. Uh, Brian O'Neill is still sitting out with that arm injury. He's got his elbow wrapped up. D'Angelo Henderson is out. Chris Boyd remains out. He didn't play in the Saints game. That was the first uh, time that I thought we we noticed him missing. He has an undisclosed injury. Uh, Adea Aruna and Aviant Collins are still out. Amir Abdullah had been out, but he is now back and working with the team. And I believe D'Angelo Henderson is still missing a little bit of time. So a little banged up in a couple of spots, but ultimately not too bad. The only real one to watch is whatever's going on with the David Morgan situation. I still don't think we have any information on that. Uh, but he is still on the pup list and uh, whatever's going on with the Brian O'Neill situation, uh, he's got that elbow wrapped up, but this is also the time of year where they're going to be extra cautious with him. So he'll probably miss more time than he would in a regular season situation, which means there are going to be days that like, yeah, he would practice if it weren't camp, but it's camp. So, you know, he's probably good. Like it's going to look worse than it is Uh, you know, we might already be in that period where he would be, you know, playing were it not for the uh, lack of meaningful football on the horizon. There hasn't been a whole lot in any of the pressers that's really worth noting. However, uh, one thing that that Mike Zimmer volunteered, I mean, he's been asked a ton of questions about Kari Vedvik and what's going to go on. And it really does seem like they genuinely haven't decided what they're going to do yet. I mean, we have all kinds of speculation about like, hmm, is he going to replace Dan Bailey? Is he going to replace Matt Weil? Is he going to replace both? And, And I don't actually think the Vikings have an answer to give. And even if they did, they would have no reason to say that before, you know, kind of running through their paces. So obviously we'll see how all of that plays out. He's been punting because of the Matt Wilde thing. Uh, and doing a little bit of kickoff work as well. So I guess that means that it's more likely that he punts, but I, I don't know. If you want more on my opinion on the Kari Vedvik situation, go ahead and listen to yesterday's episode because today I want to talk about some different stuff. And Mike Zimmer also said uh, he, he had a lot of praise for the depth at linebacker. He said it was one of the deeper groups he's had, and that essentially like praises guys like you know Devonte Downs and Richard Cliette and, you know, Cameron Smith, who's been relatively quiet, uh, but, you know, I haven't seen him get, like, destroyed or anything like that. I, I actually haven't looked at him very closely at all, so I, I don't know if that bears out or if he was just praising, like, other guys in the group. But he said, hey, there's a chance that we keep, you know, seven linebackers, and that would be a really interesting roster thing, something I'm definitely going to consider when I do my next round of, of roster predictions after the Seattle game. So in the unpadded, mind you, uh Tuesday practice, which should give the offense a really big advantage, right? The pass rush can't quite be as clean. The the cornerbacks can't press or do any of that stuff. Uh, the defense actually really showed out. All of the linebackers were getting uh, interceptions you know, left and right. Eric Wilson picked off Kirk Cousins. Sean Mannion threw one, Jake Browning threw a couple, it seemed like he had a really bad day, so, I mean, it's all just, like, one day of camp, and I think at this point, preseason action is gonna, like, outweigh all of that stuff, though the day-to-day does add up and and kind of plant itself in the mind of the coaches when they have to start making roster decisions, so it's all worth paying attention to. So I'll be sure to uh, keep you abreast of any other goings-on at camp that are worth uh, noting, but for now, I want to move on to something a little bit more abstract. So this is something that I've done on the show in the past. If you're a new listener, this will be new to you, so I ask you to just bear with me. Uh, If you've listened to those shows in the past and you've enjoyed them, this will be another one kind of like that. But one thing I always like to do is to take lessons from other disciplines, like math and philosophy and stuff that usually has absolutely nothing to football, and kind of see if we can extract any football-related lessons from it, or at least use it to help widen our under understanding of the sport that we love so that we can be, you know, more informed consumers of sports. I think these kinds of exercise make me better as, like, a podcast host, and they make me better as just a fan of football, and I hope that you see similar value for yourself for this kind of thing. So today, the guy that I want to talk about is George Berkeley, uh, or Berkeley, or it depends on, on where you're from, uh, but I- I'm going to go with Berkeley. George Berkeley is famous for the idea of to be perceived is to be, and, and uh, the discipline called, like, idealism.
0: masterclass or at least your time at home masterclass.com slash P E R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdown slash offers that's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning into lockdown podcast network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing.
1: It's a a brand of philosophy that essentially takes it one step further than something we've actually talked about previously on this show in another episode like this, which is the the Descartes thing, where he wouldn't go that far. He didn't trust his senses or any of the information, so he had to tear everything down and then build up only on things that he could 100% unequivocally prove are true with logic instead of relying on his own senses or perceptions. So this is a little bit more lax than that, right? It says, listen, the, the world is made up of, of the stuff that you see in in front of you. And even if it's not real, or if it's some kind of, you know, hallucination, or if it's a big old trick, it is part of your life, so it exists in some capacity. We Whether or not it's, you know, corporeal or, or as it seems... You know, the the steering wheel that you're looking at, maybe, or the, you know, the the headphones that this sound are coming through. I mean, those things are being perceived. You feel them. You hear my voice. You, you see whatever it is in front of you, and therefore, they are, in some sense, real. And so I find his ideas and the discussion around them to be very interesting, and we'll get into it, but it's essentially, like, one of the core discussions in the field of ontology. That is the field of philosophy that discusses the nature of existence and reality, and how do we know what's real? You know, that classic cliche philosophy professor puts a chair down in the middle of the room and asks the bright eyed students, you know, prove to me that this chair exists. That thought process of, like, how do we know that things in front of us exist, and how do we draw the line between what we know is, you know, a dream and reality. We know one thing exists, we know one thing doesn't exist, but how do we draw the line between them? And I think that this can be really useful to us in a football context, because so much of football evaluation and so much of, like, the source of the opinions that we get come from what we see right in front of our eyes. You know, you watch a football game and Kirk Cousins plays bad or Kirk Cousins plays well, and then that affects your opinion of how good Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback and is he worth the contract? And then that informs all the discussions you have about it and all the content you consume and what you think of the content that you consume. And for me, it it, you know informs the content that I put out. And so, you know, thinking about the nature of like how we process the information that is in front of us, I think can be really useful. Do you like cilantro? You probably don't have a 50-50 answer to this question. You either probably like cilantro or do you really, really, really dislike cilantro. It's what—it's this famous weird gene that, you know, you, you perceive the taste of cilantro to be like soap. Everybody who doesn't like cilantro says it tastes like soap, and everybody who does says, oh, it tastes like this fresh, you know, green, uh, really, like, refreshing, summery flavor. And I kind of get it, because I think the taste of cilantro and, the, like, the nice, fruity smell of, like, shampoo kind of, like, I get, like, they're similar, so I get what the soap people, like, are describing, but I don't think it tastes like soap. Like, if, you know, shampoo accidentally gets in your mouth or something, uh, it, it it, to me, I, I really like cilantro, but I also have people, you know, very vehemently tell me, no, cilantro tastes like soap and is disgusting. And to me, that's a really good example of how, like, two similar objects can look entirely different to two different people. And we don't even need to get that to that weird of an example. Have you ever watched a movie that maybe you watched as a kid and now you watch it as an adult and you get all the jokes that were in there that were just for the grownups and, and it reads like a completely different movie to you, to me, that movie is, is blank check. But I, as a kid, I thought blank check was just a cool movie about a kid that had unlimited power. As an adult, I watch it as a, a movie about a, a very much grown woman like, having a romance with a child, and it's very, very strange, and as, so, as an adult, that movie, to me, is way different than what I watched as a kid. It's the same stimulus. I'm watching the same sequence of frames, the same sequence of, of images rolling at 30 frames per second, the same sound, the same exact everything. Nothing has changed about that movie, but I have changed in, you know, the, the years since I was a child, and therefore, my experience of that movie has changed. And this kind of thing is one of the major, like, critiques of idealism, to, to say that, okay, to, to be perceived is to be, but if you have things like Cilantro, where people can perceive it very differently, or, like, the movie Blank Check, where the same person can even perceive it differently if enough time has passed, and you can even take it a step further and bring in some, like, really, really uh, strange and, and silly counterexamples to this. For example, imagine a candle. If I light a candle... Uh, and I see that that the candle is lit and the, the wax begins to melt, right? And then I leave the room and I come back and all the wax has melted, right? Did that candle stop existing and then come back into existence the second I started perceiving it again as uh, in a more melted state? No, of course not. It just it, it clearly continued to exist while I wasn't in the room and I'm just now checking in on it in a different state because something was happening to it. Or, you know, the very classic one, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? And the answer is, well, of course it makes a sound because every other tree we've ever observed when it falls it makes a sound so you can pretty reasonably deduce that the tree that fell in the forest and nobody was around can make a sound and anybody suggesting otherwise is probably just being pedantic or acting like they're a lot smarter than they actually are so hopefully you understand the idea of idealism but i'm going to give you one more example before i start actually linking this back into football and how it can make it better at this uh imagine an apple You're holding an apple in your hand. You know, the look of it, the color of it, the smell of it, the, the weight of it, the way it tastes when you bite into it. Those are all properties that your brain uses to perceive the apple, to figure out what this round thing is and if it's tasty or not. Your brain is built to perceive the apple, and it has those tools, your senses, to figure out what the apple is. Now, imagine you can no longer see the apple. The sense of sight is no longer applicable to this apple. It is a completely invisible apple. Still weighs the same, still tastes the same, and all that, but it's an invisible apple. And now strip another sense away. Maybe you can no longer feel it. It's still in your hand, and if you could find it, you can still bite into it, and you can still smell it, but you can't see it, and you can't feel it. Maybe if you throw it at the wall, now it doesn't make a sound. And eventually, if you strip every single property away from it, what are you left with? Well, kind of nothing. If it doesn't weigh anything, and, and it doesn't sound like anything, and it doesn't look like anything, and it doesn't smell like anything, it might just not be anything. Now you are just holding air, and that's kind of the crux of idealism. By the way, credit where it's due, I stole that from a YouTube video on the subject that I'll link in the show notes if you are more interested in philosophy there. But essentially that's the crux of the idea, that the the object's existence is inherently tied to our ability to perceive and interact with it. Now this is an older idea, and obviously it's been debunked a bunch by stuff like the candle example, and, and I think that we can use that candle example to kind of illustrate the same ideas in football, because, you know, if in football there is this kind of purism, especially with people who who don't really like stats, and this isn't going to be like another defensive stats, I talk about stats all the time, but but when people dislike stats, uh, often their argument is, you know, how can you possibly evaluate a football game without ever using the information that you gathered by watching it? Essentially, if you didn't see the football game and you're just looking at stats, how can you possibly actually know if that player was good or not? And I could go into a very scientific answer about how those stats are created and how they're generally stable, and so therefore we can trust them and yada yada yada, but I think we can use philosophy and the arguments that philosophers have had over the centuries to answer that question a little bit more convincingly. But before I get into that, I do want to talk about today's sponsor. Guys, intimacy in any relationship is something that is very important, something you should really take seriously. Maybe that's not something you want to hear from a sports podcast, but hear me out. Check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is the first chewable tablet of its kind. It has the same active ingredients as, like, Viagra and Cialis, so you know exactly what you're getting. They ship directly to your door, and it's made in the United States, so it's actually cheaper than the pharmaceutical equivalents. And because it's a chewable tablet, it kicks in twice as fast, so when the moment's right, you don't have to sit around and wait for a pill to kick in. It's shipped in a nice discreet box so that there's no embarrassment, and largely strips away a lot of the inconvenience of such supplements. Now, typically, stuff like this is reserved for men of a certain age who uh, their bodies just don't perform the way that they used to, and it is very effective for that crowd. But maybe you feel pretty confident in your abilities in the bedroom, and maybe you just want to up the ante a little bit. This can work for you too. Don't let physical limitations get in the way of something very important between you and your partner. Go to bluechew.com right now. That's B-L-U-E, blue like the color blue, Chew, C-H-E-W dot com. Go check it out, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, so that was a whole bunch of, like, mumbo-jumbo that had nothing to do with the sport that you subscribe to this podcast for. So, like, let's get on to it, right? What the hell am I talking about? Well, I think there is something to be learned from the fact that two people can look at the exact same stimulus. Two people can eat the exact same herb... You know, one person can look at the exact same movie at one point in their life and at another point in their life and come away with completely different conclusions. And let's be honest, we see this with tape all the time and we see this with analysis all the time. We see this with stats all the time. This isn't just like a tape or stat versus stats thing. You can look at any body of information and two people can walk away with the completely different Conclusion. So how do you make any sense of that? There was a video by Brett Coleman, who has a YouTube channel and and makes, like, tape breakdown videos. Uh, He did a video about Kirk Cousins and the 2018 season, and essentially the premise of the video was, okay, the Vikings didn't beat anybody with a winning record, or they lost six games against teams with a a winning record. So let's go through all of those losses and ask the question, was this Kirk Cousins' fault or was it not? Uh, That premise is kind of problematic, but I don't really need to get into that right now, but the idea was, okay, what were the major moments that caused that game to be a loss, and whose fault were they, you know? The the Saints game last year, the the major moment that caused that to be a loss was the Adam Thielen fumble. Well, obviously, that's not Kirk Cousins' fault, so we can deduce that, you know, Kirk Cousins wasn't really as at fault for that game as, you know, you maybe would think, looking at, like, the coverage of Kirk Cousins and the previews of this season and stuff. You could argue that the the Rams loss was caused by the strip sack at the end, but how much was that Kirk Cousins' fault versus Riley Reef getting absolutely torched uh, in a, a critical moment in the game? Or how much was that game, you know, the fault of the defense getting completely lit up by Sean McVay? And we've talked in depth about why that happened, which is a really, really cool thing from just, like, an objective football perspective As as soon as you can get over the fact that the Vikings were on the short end of it. But none of that stuff was really Kirk Cousins' fault at all, except for maybe ball security, but, like, that's nitpicking. And on its surface, that methodology makes sense. But if you were to look at, say, that whole Saints game, or the entire, you know, Week 17 Bears game, or, you know, this game or that game, and say, you know, was Kirk Cousins an effective enough quarterback to have won most games in these circumstances— then, you know, that's maybe a more comprehensive question. Essentially, I'm just asking, look at the whole game and ask yourself, are you satisfied with this? And you might get a different answer. And that's not even necessarily like taking down Brett Coleman or saying that I di- that he did it wrong. He looked at it from a lens. That's a very interesting question to ask. And the show, the, the episode is, is in the show notes and you should totally go watch it because it's pretty cool. But it asks a different question than a lot of other people would be asking. And that is going to lead you to a different, equally valid conclusion. I guess the point that I'm trying to illustrate here is that you can take two equally capable evaluators of football and have them look at the exact same game, and depending on how they decide to go about it and the the question that they are tasking themselves with answering, they're going to come away with completely different opinions of how certain players played. And the thing is, just like with Cilantro, you don't necessarily need one of them to be wrong because they're answering different questions. And and I think respecting that context for different evaluators, so long as you, you know, you you can still critique evaluators. I mean, I can look at and Fahey's... Quarterback list and see that he has like Marcus Mariota over Russell Wilson and say, okay, well, you're completely insane. But I'm not going to do that until I understand that he is indeed trying to rank quarterbacks on generic quality, and then I know, okay, well, that's completely insane. But sometimes we make that mistake with like Pro Football Focus, where they'll have, I mean, they have their uh, wide receiver, they just tweeted out a picture of the first preseason game wide receiver grades, and Kelvin Benjamin is at the very top of it. And obviously that's insane. Kelvin Benjamin is not the best wide receiver in the league. Nobody thinks that he's is going to be, but maybe he did have the best preseason game, or at least that's what they are asserting. And so we kind of have to, you know, meet them on their own battlefield, so to speak. And I'm not going to critique Pro Football Focus without a, a pretty intimate understanding of their grading system, which there's a lot of information out there. And if you do your research, you too can really understand how they grade and, you know, look at a given play and kind of just start asking yourself, how would I grade that on a scale from minus two to plus two, where a zero is they didn't really do anything good or bad. And then when you, you know, see them come out with a grade that you, like, totally disagree with, the, that can give you the, the context to maybe structure a more intelligent argument that isn't just, oh, well, you know, peripheral focus clearly doesn't know what they're talking about, or Kian Fahey clearly doesn't know what he's talking about, or, or whatever. You can come up with a more structured argument than just trying to, like, attack the evaluating ability of one entity or another. For example, one criticism that I have of of Kean Fahy's methodology, despite the besides the fact that you know he came up with it like five years ago, and he uh, very purposefully does not want to update his methodology or improve it because he thinks that that will ruin the historical data, which isn't really how methodologies work. You should try to improve your methodologies. Uh, but one one critique that I have, one thing that I think that he could improve on is, uh, with his accuracy charting, he leans into the subjectivity of accuracy, and I respect that, but he takes no measures to mitigate that subjectivity, whereas Pro Football Focus also leans into the subjectivity, but they have multiple people grade everything and then they have multiple people audit those grades, and by the time a grade actually comes out, there's like seven or eight people that have to have come to some sort of consensus. Say, Kirk Cousins finds Adam Thielen, you know, in one-on-one coverage, much like, uh, that that throw in the preseason game, but say it's like a, a deep post, and even though Adam Thielen gets very open, he can't catch it perfectly in stride. He has to slow down a little bit or maybe even speed up a little bit or, or you know, drift one way or the other to kind of get to the ball. Now, that's something that Fay he has used to say, oh, that ball was inaccurate. He had to change the direction of his route to the right because the quarterback threw it, uh, you know, inaccurately. But what he would often fail to catch was that there's a safety coming over the top, and the reason that the ball was thrown a little bit further to the right was because, you know, the quarterback knew that he had room to the right, and he didn't have as much room to the left because of the safety closing in, so he threw it more to the right, like, on purpose, and and placed the ball where he, he meant to. And, and you can usually kind of deduce that by looking at it. But when you're only one person and you're trying to, you know, chart the entirety of a football season, every single passing attempt in a football season, which is a very gargantuan task, and I respect the hell out of Keen Fahey for doing it, but you're going to miss that kind of thing sometimes. And, you know, having somebody else audit your work like PFF does, and, you know, over the eight people that, that watch a play and grade it, somebody's going to catch that. And once they've caught it, they can then put that into the system and kind of adjust things accordingly. So that's why I feel comfortable criticizing Kian Fahey because I, I can, you know, look at his methodology, look at his perspective, look at what he is perceiving and then understand, okay, this is what he's missing here, and now I, I feel more comfortable saying that, oh wait, no, this is the incorrect conclusion. But I don't think you get to do that until you've done that work. Because if you don't do the work, you're just saying, oh, this guy just doesn't know how to watch football, and that person could say the same thing about you, and and a a an uninformed bystander wouldn't have any real way to tell between the two. Your negative opinion of cilantro is insane to me, because cilantro is so delicious to me, but knowing about, you know, the cilantro gene and, and that it makes it taste like soap to everybody, knowing about that, if I said, oh, you were just wrong about cilantro, that would sound pretty insane, right? And I think the same principle applies to football. All of this goes to say, be careful which evaluations you're listening to, especially as the season gets underway and I'm not going to have as much time to really, like, put out these critiques. And if you do see an evaluation that that disagrees with your priors or disagrees with like what you think a a player is, look into why that might be, because they might just be answering a different question than you. PFF might have a really low accuracy percentage or, or accuracy grade or whatever on Mitch Trubisky, and you might say, wait, Mitch Trubisky won the division. And you have to think to yourself, well, that's because those accuracy ratings aren't taking into account Mitch Trubisky's running and scrambling ability, which opens up lots of opportunities and, and, and makes the offense move more easily, even if the quarterback is inaccurate. So when you say Mitch Trubisky was inaccurate and I say, but he won the division, we are answering two separate questions. And the two points that we are making aren't really in conflict anymore. Mitch Trubisky can be inaccurate and win games. Cilantro can be good and it can taste like soap. And I think an understanding of, like, George Berkeley's idealism and the responses to it can help us more comfortably come to those conclusions instead of having them create this like crazy idea in our minds. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope if this is your first one of these weird ones, you weren't completely turned off to the show now. Uh, Tomorrow we'll be back to more regular programming. We're going to preview the Seattle game and talk about, uh, you know, what, what to watch for there. Uh, in the meantime, you can always find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And you can always find this show by asking your smart device to play podcast LockedOnVikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and bearing with me. And as always, skull. Hey,
0: On Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Lockdown Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.